Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is a fantastic interview with Kamaria Hallams-Harris, who is starring in Eat Cake, which opens at Annex Theater on Tuesday, the 26th. I'm going to be there opening night. I hope you are, too. Cannot wait to see Seth Tankus's play. They are a badass. Kamaria is a badass. And you should go to AnnexTheater.org. To purchase tickets. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the podcast by listening, by being a sponsor or donating. If you'd like to get on to be a cool part of that crew, visit theatricalmustang.podbean.com. And now please enjoy episode 88 with Kamaria Hallams-Harris. I am pleased as punch to welcome today's podcast guest. We have actress Kamaria Hallams-Harris here to talk about Eat Cake. Hello, hello. So tell me about how you first came to this project, because you've lived with this project for a while, right? I have, yes. Um, I actually um, started, I think it was a year ago, um, with Parley Playwright Group, Um, Seth Tankis, the playwright. They were in... um, parlay and they wanted to do this play and absolutely I had never actually met Seth previously like outside of school because we went to Cornish right the yeah. together so uh I was like okay sure whatever <laughs> yeah, I'll do this thing. Thing. yeah I'll do this thing and I get to know you so I think that's fantastic um so we started that about a year ago last summer I think uh, we did a stage reading and then they got accepted into annex for the season, and I was most happy. And they asked me again, and I said, "Of course, yes, let's do it." Yay. So that's how um, we've come to this point um, as of today. Uh, but it's really interesting because my character arc has changed drastically, as has the play, and for the better. Um, <clears throat> in regards to what Seth was trying to say what they wanted uh, people to take from the play, things like that. I think uh, it's been nothing but great progress, and I'm really, really proud and excited to be a part of the process. I'm grateful. Absolutely. Do you you see, has more of yourself been written into the role, would you say? Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I love that reaction. Um, That's fantastic. Yes, and I I laugh maniacally because um, uh, Seth and I worked together at a coffee shop, and we would just talk about the play and the process and and we would make jokes together and then I'd come to rehearsal and they were in the script <laughs> like verbatim so I absolutely um we have collaborated in that way are we talking absolutely. about you should be getting a co-writing credit uh, yeah, you know basically uh, I want royalties and <laughs> All right, so set this show up for us. I've seen amazing pictures online where you are shoving cake into the face of your significant other. What's this play about? Um, This play is uh, mostly about family. Um, It is about, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of everything in the sense that (laughs) uh, weddings are already complicated. It's about a wedding. Uh, between a queer couple and uh, weddings are already complex and complicated already enough right and just everything goes to shit 
in the worst way. And not to reveal a lot, uh, or too much, I should say, but I think it's really exciting that it's also, and I don't even think Seth intended this, but it's also anti-capitalist in a sense. Um, it is anti, uh, well, I'm gonna take that back, I'm not gonna say that. So it, uh, it is about love and family and uh, what it means to be genderqueer today and what it means to be married today uh, in particular, it's set in Seattle, so I think that that's something to note. This play would be completely different if it were set in like Atlanta, which I'm from. It'd be a completely different play, right? Um, I think that's very, very crucial. Um, so yeah, uh, the cake shoving in the faces uh, <laughs> almost happens, but not quite. All I'm gonna say is maybe if you really like cake, sit in the front row. If you're not so into cake, don't Ooh, sit in the front row. Yeah? Interesting. Maybe it's like a Gallagher show. We'll yes. see. <laughs> so the show opens April 26th and runs through May 11th. There's a pay-what-you-can mm-hmm. night on May 9th. Folks are going to want to get tickets at annextheater.org. And tickets are only 10 bucks and 5 five bucks if you're a TPS member or a student. And so really, and you can see it on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, so there's really no excuse right. not to see this amazing And new there's work. an industry night. There's an Even better. Night. So I don't know when that is, but <laughs> check it out. AnnexTheater.org will tell you when it is. Tell me about some of your castmates. Oh, man. So um, we have Amontaine. Uh, Aurora, who is amazing, a playwright, I think, uh, also doing Ford Flux Productions, Matt Aguayo, Courtney Bennett, Dave Clapper, um, Julie, who is also a part of uh, Parlay, um, and Raymond, and Raymond Williams, and Benjamin Simmons. Uh, we also have a new addition, Jordan, the lovely Jordan. Uh, he just finished a play in Tacoma. Uh, he's also an actor of color. Is amazing. Um, very diverse cast. <laughs> very amazing cast. The age range is, you know, very just large, and I love that. I think we all are such a big family. Um, not in the sense in just the play, but I think we really came together during some really difficult times where we weren't quite sure if we were going to have everything we needed to even do a play. So. Right. Uh, we're all focused, everyone's dedicated, everyone's doing amazing side projects that you should check out, absolutely. Um, and we all support each other outside of just this show. That's amazing. That's really great. That's so fortunate. I don't think that's always the case. Delightful. No, it's not always the case. Very blessed. So, directed by Catherine Blake Smith, what's yes. the rehearsal hall been like? Um, not, it's, we did so much table work, right. um, which I think is so crucial, especially talking about um, topics such as gender identity and sexuality and, uh, you know, queer, queerness. Um, I feel like we spent a, a majority, maybe like one or two months, just wow. really doing table work um, so that we were all in the same space and same page um, as regards of like what we wanted the audience to take away. Um, we just got up on our feet uh, maybe a month ago, so we started our rehearsals January, February-ish, and we're going up late April, you know, so April 26. I think that's a really long time, um, which is not always the case as far as uh, theater pro- projects and process. Um, 
but the cool thing about rehearsal has been um, Seth really being accommodating and also changing the script a lot based on our perceptions of our characters and what we know from them. Um, and Catherine has been just uh, an angel. Like, I just, <laughs> she is fantastic um, and has just been on it from the get-go. So it's been a really great um, intensive rehearsal process and that it requires a lot of thought and time. What do you think is really important and relevant about producing this play right now, April 2016? Mm, so, to bring it back to, you know, marriage and uh, marriage equality, which is still a hot topic, um, I think it might be for a very long time. Absolutely. It to be very important. Um, I think I am an African-American, I don't think, I am an African-American woman. <laughs> I know that, for a fact. And I think it is very important to note that Ariel, who I am playing, um, who's getting married, is an African-American woman, or African-American, um, genderqueer um, person. And I feel like uh, it is important to note that right now, with everything going on with police brutality and racism and Trump and Bernie and Obama, just everything socioeconomically and politically, to have a gender queer person on the stage saying they don't particularly care about marriage or marriage equality that, you know, has right. been passed, I think it's so potent and it's so... It's, it's unexpected in the sense that it is the most raw thing right now at this moment in time, I feel like. Um, and the... Well... So... Let me take that back. I think yeah. it is uh, crucial to see people of color on stage and to see people of color on stage, trans people of color on stage, LGBTQ people of color on stage, because we are so underrepresented, and to have so many uh, hot topics pressing right now, I think it just, voices need to be heard like that more. Because when, when folks don't see themselves on stage, they don't feel like they're part of the cultural narrative. Absolutely not, and the most underrepresented group, especially in the LGBTQ community, is color right from every single aspect of that and every underfunded underrepresented underserved in every single way and I think um, to have that and to have them say you know what fuck marriage I don't give a shit right to me that's like the ballsiest thing ever <laughs> um, what are you, what are your characters pronouns in the play they them they them. they them. Those are my pronouns. I wow, know. you mean I get to come and see a play where there's a you genderqueer sure person who uses they and them? And you are most welcome. And I think um, Seth, the playwright, also they them pronouns. Um, I, I love that. I love that it's uh, affordable to everyone. I know, in particular, speaking from my experience as a person of color, I think um, a lot of people don't deem theater important because it is not for them. It is not right. written uh, for them, and it's not to be seen by them, and it's not affordable, and it's not attainable, and it's not accessible. Um, so this is a great show for that. I hope more creative people are 
Have you had convert? Have you had one-on-one? Obviously, you've had one-on-one conversations with Seth because you worked with them. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm going to make it really personal right now. Yeah, apparently, let's do it. Uh, one of the things that I've been struggling with is being misgendered, right, 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 and carrying that anger with you uh, when folks tell you to be patient. It's not grammatically correct, or it's going to take time. They really care about you, but they're not sure if they're going to get it. Uh, did you and Seth have conversations about that? Is there any of that in the play, or do you carry any of that kind of backstory with you, with this character? Um, I would say, uh, is there any of that in the play? Um, we have had many conversations about that, right. absolutely. Uh, the previous scope that we did in the read-through, there was actually a conversation between um, Petra, Ariel's mother, um, mm. um, that the whole scene was about Ariel being misgendered on their wedding day, the most important day that they didn't even want to do, but they did for their mother, and their mother misgendering them on their wedding day. Holy crap. Yep, So, and, and we talked about that scene, Seth and I, so much um, and I think they ultimately decided to cut it because they wanted not to not to exclude that um, because they thought it was trivial or unimportant but that they wanted it to just be an accepted thing that no one really talks about in the play and a negative people aspect. are just it's using just the correct pronouns the correct pronouns everyone's supportive everyone's there everyone's loving which is how it should be that's freaking Fantastic. Which is why. Yeah, I love that. We talked talk about this. I love that. That's interesting. Time. And thank you for sharing that yeah, bit about the process. That's of really course. that's really amazing. Uh, so you went to Cornish. I did. What is your do you have what is your philosophy? How do you build a character outside, you know, outside the work that you're doing in the rehearsal hall with the director? What's your process? Um I think to so I think it always starts with research for me. Um, I think research, I always go through the script, and this is bare bones, but um, I got words I don't know, I don't understand, and I look them up, ask questions, right. ask friends um, that might mo- norm- know more than I do. Um, and then I really just try to embody that. I, I try to draw personal experiences from that. Um, like you asked earlier, how do I feel or how um, do I feel about, you know, they, them, and pronouns, and, and uh, I think for me, okay, so the big word for me during this process was intersectionality. Yes. Um, which is so crucial. Um, and I have actually been really struggling with my own queerness. Um, I feel like I am I'm pansexual. Um, and I, what and what for those who might not know what that means? Sexuality, for sure. So it is basically to boil it down. Um, it is someone who will date a person without discrimination. I feel like, uh, as far as uh, uh, bi- non-binary right. um, queerness, like. Will literally date anyone without any discrimination if they are interested in that person. So that means anything, I think. Um, I always like to think of it 
not giving a very good, solid definition right now. No, I think but you I like are, to, yeah, I think yeah. I like to think of it as um, if you connect with a person, regardless of ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, you're willing to date them. You would love to be with that person. Um, I, I think... So, so as I would, yeah. I think it is important for myself to really think about what it means um, within my own sexuality, and I've actually been talking to Seth about um, gender-neutral pronouns and non-binary things that have been a hot topic for myself, which I've never really told anyone besides Seth. Right. Um, so yeah, so this play has been really eye-opening in that sense, personally. So from that, I can draw um, inspiration and um, things to, to add to Ariel um, as far as heart and death from my own right? experiences and frustrations with that. And isn't it amazing how certain... I firmly believe that we get, we get the plays... We are involved in the plays we need to be involved in right. at that specific time in our life. It's and I feel... So a reading that I did earlier this year really opened, really was the catalyst for mm. switching my pronouns because I was asked for the first time, like really asked, and that created the space hmm. to think about it and really, I mean, I had been thinking about switching pronouns for well over a year, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of fear. Right. And I saw how friends who are genderqueer or non-binary really struggled with that and it sort of forces you into um, this position of being a teacher or a resource which is where, frustrating <laughs> at times it's like I can't I can, I can I give my it. answer to your questions but I do yeah. not speak for all folks who are non-binary yeah. I can't do that I don't want that responsibility it's true though it's true I, I think what my my fear comes from as far as being hesitant or a little wary of right really just changing switching my pronouns is um not only do I also feel like I also I always have to speak for being black or a right black woman right all the time every day of my life every single moment that I'm awake and breathing um but to add that extra layer right especially with the, the black community it's so interesting with that um with that that's a whole actually a whole other topic but um yeah it's just it's really daunting to me so I, I completely understand yeah but, yeah okay. has to be exhausting you know <laughs> thank you I, I'm is, exhausted just oh my god <laughs> living it I'm is sure. exhausting it is exhausting and yeah. then when you're around people and they don't they don't hear right that they some people I seriously think they don't is a self-awareness thing. And so if someone isn't particularly self-aware, they're not, they don't have that mechanism in their brain to notice. And so then it's sort of, well, then, like, I don't want to be the pronoun police. And then some people get defensive when they get corrected. It's like, well, the, what was I, I was saying to one of my friends, like, as, I feel like, um, especially like the generation coming up younger than us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they are so fierce. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. less than half of them identify as straight. And they're just so advocating for these issues. And I think uh, universities and whatnot are quickly realizing that they have to come up to speed and are creating gender-neutral um, 
living spaces on campus yep. and more accessible uh, restrooms. Right, and I feel as so we're getting there, right? We're get more people are are learning about these issues, and but for as few resources as there are to support folks, you know, like how do I switch pronouns? How do I respect someone? There's, I feel like there's even less literature out there for people who are genderqueer or non-binary and have to do the correcting and have to, like, where's the guidebook for that? Like, maybe it needs to be written or whatever. I feel like I'm meandering a little bit. But no, it is, it can be exhausting. And some days are better than others, that's for sure. I totally understand Yeah. I think um, it's just really important and it's crucial. Like, I'm, I'm still learning and I still, I still mess up. I'm going to mess up probably forever because there's always new information everyone's right. always evolving I'm trying new to terms see. There's new exactly new legisms yes. I want I'm so uh, I want to be there and so I know I'm always going to be trying to chase it but I think it's important to just note when you mess up it's okay it's okay it's okay you're working it's work in progress we're all going to get there and I hope wouldn't it be amazing if it just wasn't I feel like it can be an anomaly, uh, I feel like it can be an anomaly, anomaly, but I, if it was just a thing, like, in the play, it was just a norm, it was just, I love it, and I hate the word norm, but, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? it becomes like, assimilated, it's assimilated. Like, fewer exactly. people saying, it's not grammatically, I love that the Washington Post it's has, the stepping, or oh, is it not grammatically correct? Right, because it's not true, actually. Oh, it's oh gosh, yeah, absolutely. What folks good. don't know is that we use the singular they exactly for hundreds of years, yep. and then this Miss Manners kind of person was like, "Listen up, we're not going to do that anymore." And then, so it's been a very narrow window, actually, just in terms of human existence and linguistics that we haven't used singular they but it became so ingrained in the 20th century that it stopped that it stopped. but I'm heartened by stuff like the uh, the Washington Post has updated their style guide and so singular they is in their style guide and I really think that I mean the New York Times is writing about the singular they the New Yorker is all of these so it's becoming a national conversation which I think is awesome and important and I hope that within my lifetime it's within every style guide right. and like you come into a new classroom or a new social situation and you're asking someone's name as well as their pronouns right. and people just start having that knowledge and I'm hopeful I'm hopeful for this generation that's coming up behind us and and what because I think they're going to demand it I think we're kind of asking for it and it's sort of it's a bit of like one step forward two steps back but I think they're going to demand it fiercely and then it's going to be really interesting when there's I think they call them the uh uh-oh generation or because it's 2000 it's uh, I don't I think there are other or generation whatever this generation is coming up but when they're in the workplace with baby boomers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a really interesting intersection Anyway, enough about this. I want to talk more about you. Uh-huh. I want to. I want to do a little inside the actors' studioing. Oh gosh. Yes. When did you start performing? Um, I. What is your origin story? Ooh. Okay, so this is like not the most. Um... <laughs> I'm not gonna. Okay, I'm not gonna preface this. So. Um... <laughs> Good. The story. Uh, I started performing. 
my first performance, I should say, um, was in kindergarten. And I went to a school in Atlanta. I went to kindergarten there, or kindergarten first grade. And uh, we were doing Cinderella, and I was really excited about it. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never been in front of people. This is going to be so exciting. Like, kindergarten Mario. <laughs> oh my God. Right? <laughs> and so I learned all the songs. Like, I learned the entire songbook of Cinderella. Because, like, the Brandy and Whitney Houston one just came um, out to you. And I was right? like, yes. <laughs> and so I, like, learned that. And then I go up to audition, and I sang them all perfectly in my head. I thought I did. I'm sure I did. And they put me in the chorus, and I was going for Cinderella. And uh, <laughs> I think I think the girl, I think she was a white girl. She ended up getting Cinderella. Um, so I was really bummed and disheartened. And so I was like, I'm never gonna do that again. That was really scarring, <laughs> right? So I didn't for years. And then in high school, I. Um, ended up sneaking out and getting in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how do I get out of my parents' house? How do I leave? Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I messed up. I did. Um, but I was like, this is really tense right now. I need to go. And I was like, oh, I take drama class. I really like drama class. So I applied for South Carolina Governor School of Arts and Humanities, which, like, I don't even know, like, kids all over the state can apply. And I just auditioned. I've never acted before in my life. And I went in, I auditioned, I got a call back. And I auditioned again, and I got my acceptance letter at 16. So, so you were 11 years without yeah. doing anything. Nope, nothing. Oh, that's beautiful. And I just kind of went for it. And uh, I don't know if you know Lorenzo Roberts. He just moved into Seattle. Oh, right, yes. He actually, we got in the same class at governor school, and it was like 18 people out of the entire state that accepted that year. Wow. Um, Nicole Bahari went there. Um, gosh, Tiana Perry, or... Yeah, Tim Paris, uh, what's his name? Or he was the new black. Oh, Danielle. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Tasty, she played Tasty. Oh, right, I Danielle, can see Danielle her Brooks, face. I believe. Anyway, so. And she's on Broadway right now in the color purple. Yes, she yes, is. yes. She's so talented. So, um, yeah, I, went, I got into governor school. I went there for two years. It's intensive, it's modeled just like after Juilliard. We also had to do coursework to graduate high school and do an intensive theater regimen. Um, so my first performance, like technically, was um, Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov. I played Irina. And we did it Brechtian style. So wow. we did the entire play. We did not cut it. Um, Lorenzo was actually my Tuzenbach. Um, so that was my first real eye-opening performance. And it took a lot out of me. And that's still my favorite play in the entire world. Um, but yeah, that's how I got started. And then I went, oh, well, I want to go to Seattle. My favorite band's from Seattle. And I moved. I got into Cornish the, basically the day I auditioned. Um, and uh, moved. Never been to Seattle. And I've been acting here since. That's amazing. So what, what track were you in in Cornish? I was in the O-Works program. So I did um, acting for writing directly. And I just got accepted to Parley Playwrights Group. Congratulations! So I'll be working on plays, which is really exciting. Um, and as far as directing, I have yet to talk about that yet, but I hope to get there. Oh, you will. I can see it behind your eyes. You're like, it's there. It's there. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. So I asked you before we started to record, to record about mm-hmm. if you would be willing to share uh, 
a moment from a Cornish classroom sure. when you asked about casting because I think it's a I think it's important for people to hear the story and the response that you got. So set us up. So you're in a Cornish classroom. I'm in a Cornish classroom. Everyone from my class is there. Um, can I name drop or no? Yeah, <laughs> okay, name drop. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know if that's weird or not. Okay, so I'm in a Cornish classroom. Like literally, I don't know, 100 plus students and then all the faculty. We're about to go into our junior year, which is where we officially start our original works program intensive training. And they said... They were giving us a briefing, basically, on what it's going to be like professionally for you, what to expect. It's about to get a little bit more rigorous. Um, and I had just this weird moment. It got really quiet in the classroom, and something clicked, like, just clicked in my brain. And Sheila Daniels goes, does anyone have any questions? <laughs> and I just looked around the room, and everyone was like, nope, I'm just ready to get out. I want to go to lunch. And I was like, No. Fuck this. I have a question. I have a very, very important question to ask. And so I raised my hand. And I said, um, so what about me? What about me as a woman of color? Can I audition for any role? And it got really quiet. <laughs> Teachers got really pensive. And they said... Yeah, sure. Sheila said, Maria, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous question. You should be able to audition for any role that you want. You are the most talented. You have right talent. Yes. You have ability. You have intellect. You should. That is that is not an impossible thing for you. And I said, Yeah, but it is. So what do I do? I can't go into audition for checkoff now as a professional and hope to get arena i cannot go and audition for singing in the rain and hope to get cast in that because those plays are not written for me they're really for people of color and she gave me the best advice ever she said do it anyway call in ask them do it anyway. Make it happen. There's there's no reason for them not to consider you. Just because they have not thought outside of the box does not mean that you are not right for the role. That just means that they're ignorant. <laughs> and so I, I, I started getting really emotional. And I looked at the one other black girl in my class. So out of 100? Out of probably maybe a little more than 100 even. There are two of you. There's two. And she's my roommate. She's my roommate. Right. Her right. Best friend, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her, and she just had tears in her eyes. And I was so scared to ask that question. And I'm so grateful that I did, because since then, we have been called in for many, many things. I don't know how or why. <laughs> um, I like to think it's our hard work and our perseverance and our um, outspokenness about what it means. Um, to be on the stage for us and how we define our roles as artists and what we want to be doing as well. Right. Um, but I have been so fortunate in that. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. <laughs> uh, and I think it is my goal as a playwright to uh, write those roles. Absolutely. For everyone. To write those roles as an actor. I can do that. I can I can come in and play those roles and prove. Not that I should have to prove anything in the first place, but that is how it goes, right? Right. Um, and that I can play those roles, but I think as a playwright, 
I need to be conscious of that. I need to write roles for everyone. I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. Of course. So what has your time post-Cornish been like? What what are memorable roles for you that stick out? Um, I would say um, the first one that comes to mind is I did Milk Like Sugar and Kent, which was written by Christina or Kristen Fringridge. I think I'm saying her name correctly. Um, but it was about... Four young black women all getting pregnant at the same time in high school. Oh, wow. So they can have babies together and get benefits and not have to go, essentially not have to go to school, not have to think about anything and what that meant for them. Um, and I, I, that really stands out to me because I have never, it sounds really strange maybe, but I have never been in a cast that was all black before. And that was my first professional role outside of Cornish. Right. Um, um, besides Ensign um, which I did as an intern. Um, but, but yeah, so that really stands out to me. And it was so important because I got to work with amazing actors of color in the city. Um, and it, uh, we did it with Theater Battery in Kent at Kent Station. And they're lovely. You should check them out this summer. They're doing amazing work. Um, and I think the second one for completely opposite reason was I did a Christmas Carol at ACT um, I think that was 2014 um, and I was like I wasn't the only person of color but um, I definitely stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> I was Martha I played Martha <laughs> so when I was bringing some oranges people sure. were like <gasps> you know like I we're all singing together in the beginning. I'm looking at the audience and singing at them, and they're like, what? What is awesome. happening? And I'm sure it wasn't, the, you know, the first time this has ever happened, but um, it was great, because our, gosh, we hung out so much, that cast, um, and we just had the best time, and John Langs is amazing, amazing director, and uh, so it was great being able to work on a large scale like that, and do such a popular show. Uh, I've never even heard Christmas Carol before in my life. Right, ever. I never read it, I never watched it, I never, I had nothing, no idea. So it was completely foreign and that was exciting to me. What is on your bucket list as an actor? Let's, let's talk it into existence right now. Okay, we're doing it, okay. Um, bucket list. So, <laughs> you have the best reactions to questions. <laughs> so, one of my things on my bucket list was like, which also goes into the last question was like, I gotta be naked on stage. Like, I have to have justified okay. nudity on stage. It has to be justified. I wanna be naked on stage. Because that's like the most vulnerable you can get. I feel like almost as an actor to be in your birthday suit. Right, absolutely. And, um, so I did that um, last fall with Wet. I did 99 Ways to Fuck a Swan, which is. An interesting play. Yeah. <laughs> but it's completely naked, so I checked that off. That was really um, nerve-wracking. Um, and uh, I never had to think about questions like, how do I look I'm there? Are things okay? <laughs> Should I put on coconut oil so I'm shiny? You know, like I never... <laughs> are my heels okay? Um, so I never thought about stuff like that. But on my bucket list, I would say... I want to do, like... 
traveling shows more. I've never done a traveling show, but I want to reach communities that I wouldn't normally reach. Um, and I think um, um, another thing on my bucket list is to uh, play a role that I normally wouldn't play and that could be anything yeah that's it it's really I don't have a whole lot of things because I'm more so focused my, my playwright bucket list is way larger than my acting bucket list Let's right now talk about that then. so um as a playwright, like I said, I want to write roles for everyone. Um, I also want to, um, I, I, it's my dream in the future to, I need to go to grad school, so I want to go to grad school. Okay. Um, for playwriting? Yes, for playwriting. But I want, within that, I want to, because it's looking at Brown, Brown has this really cool program where you can like go for playwriting, but you can also kind of um, make a course of your own to teach. Um, I want to teach a playwriting course that has to do with works of people of color, which I don't think is ever taught. So I want to do that on like a collegiate level. Yeah, like, absolutely. I think that's so important. Um, and I want to, I want to sit in the room and watch someone speak words that I wrote I know is that selfish is that like I don't know is that arrogant it's like like what's the word I'm looking for is that too much ego for me but I no. really I really want to know that I'm serving someone in that way and um, I think those are really large goals that are going to take years to do um, but I want to do all of those goals in order to start a theater company for um, people of color, obviously, which I've said like a million times, and um, for the LGBTQ community. Yeah. That's, I, I don't think there's any, maybe there is, um, which I haven't done enough research on, but any theater company right now that is completely open in that way, and that it is just do what whoever is right for the role should be cast in every way and I want that so badly for our future I really do and I really want it on the west coast yeah I was thinking either that or Chicago but I, I really want to start a theater company I love it yeah. you're taking over the world I'm trying I'm really trying it's fantastic as we wind down our time together I was wondering if you would be willing to take us out with uh, maybe one of your favorite lines from Eat Cake <laughs> it doesn't have to be your own but so we could just get a taste, ha ha ha, because it's about cake. It's not about cake, but, <laughs> but it's a funny sh- joke. <laughs> Drum bill. Um, <laughs> let's see. My favorite line. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, here's one from Michael, and he says. There has never been love in this household. And I respond with, yes, there has. It's <laughs> one of my favorite little chunks of lines. Um, my other favorite line, which Julie says, is, I was wearing a shirt. That's it. That's oh, wow. That's pretty, pretty insightful. Um, and then uh, final line I would have to say is, um, 
I love you most when you are soft, when tender like smoke wafting through steely blue sound. I just got chills. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah. That's one of my lines. I love it, love it, love it. So folks, after listening to those awesome lines, you're <laughs> even more compelled to visit AnnexTheater.org and get your tickets for Eat Cake running April 26th through May 11th. Kamaria, thank you so much. Thank you so much. For coming Katie. on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You are the dopest. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. They're blushing. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.